Today's episode of No Sleep Till Belmont is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think New York Islanders tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue, it can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Hello, Islander fans. Welcome to No Sleep Till Belmont, the Athletics Islanders podcast. This is your faithful Islanders beat reporter, Arthur Staple, checking in for another week, along with my esteemed colleague and co-host, Mark Parrish. Howdy, Mark. What's going on? Oh, not a whole lot. We got a few Islander games to talk about I'm excited for. And some wild uh, wild swings to, to <laughs> go over. Yeah, they they went from uh, from the outhouse to the penthouse pretty much in the, in the space of about 72 hours. It was pretty... Uh, it's pretty interesting to watch. So yeah, we'll we'll dive right in to just recapping the, the three games uh, since we last gathered together. Uh, a five-two loss in Carolina that I think uh, the guys in the room felt like didn't look quite as bad as I think it looked to watch because it just felt like not men against boys, but it looked like a team that's that's running on all cylinders in Carolina that that's clearly like in mid-season to end-season form, and a team in the Islanders that. Uh, especially five on five, had a little trouble getting out of their own way. So that was Friday. They turn right around and come back Saturday at home uh, against Florida and play quite a bit better, but give up a late goal to tie and have to pull it out in a shootout. Uh, that was to my mind when we'll, and we'll dive right in uh, after we mention Monday's game as well. Um, but that was a that was a big game, I think, for Semyon Varlamov against Florida. He was really strong. Kept Florida at bay because there was, a, I think, again, five on five, especially in the first period and, and parts of the third. The Islanders were were on their heels against a team that's got a lot of firepower. Um, and then uh, Monday afternoon, uh, it was maybe not the miracle uh, in, in uh, Uniondale, but uh, it sort of felt like it after watching the first 55 minutes where the Islanders c- couldn't do anything. I mean, the Blues, man, uh, they are playing – the way that they need to be playing. And I don't know if they can do it all year, but the, the, that heavy, they stay in lanes, they do everything they need to do. They look like a team that's coming off winning the Stanley Cup. And Islanders somehow pulled that one out in overtime, and we'll, we'll dig into it a little bit more. But basically, so they, so they win two out of three. Uh, they got a couple days off until they go up to Winnipeg and out to Columbus for, for their first real road trip of the season. So, Mark, those three games – uh, give me give me a couple things that you really liked and a couple things that uh, that you didn't like so much. Uh, the thing I didn't like the most uh, was obviously their five on five play uh, in Carolina. That one was tough. Uh, you know, you're playing against a team that, like you said, it's it's one of the best teams in the league right now. They're, they've started out red hot. They look like a team that went to the conference finals and wants to build on that. And it's a good measuring stick. For the Islanders, because, hey, look, if we want to get to where we want to be, we have to go through this team. We have to go through Carolina. Learned it last year that they're going to have to keep up, play that speed, play that kind of style of hockey. And, yes, I, I agree with them where the score didn't really tell the whole story. There was It was just a lot of mental mistakes. There were there were chances. They had opportunities to get it out of there. And the, the, the chances and opportunities were there to turn it around, get back going on the offense, and not look so 
flat-footed or they're even slow at times and it was just their own mental mistakes and their puck decisions especially coming up with their blue line through the neutral zone guys trying to do too much and and it's a catch-22 when guys are trying to do too much because you you kind of like to see that because obviously they care and they want to do something for the team but at the same time you've got to recognize time and space and when to make a play and when to just do something intelligent and try and weather that storm and continue to move forward that was what I didn't like so much what I did like is their response after that. Obviously, the Florida game, the way they played, came back. And then obviously in the St. Louis, even though not full games, complete games, that's what their goal is. That's what they're building to. It's nice to have those. The games like this early on in the year is a big confidence boost for that team, especially the St. Louis game. That for to 55 minutes, they, they were either checked out or completely outplayed. And then to turn it on and take over and in what, six and a half minutes beat the reigning Stanley Cup champions. That is a huge game for everybody to just get behind. It's going to bind that room together. You get Barzell going. You got Wallstrom coming out, playing his first game, playing very strong, getting a chance to finish with Lee and Barzell. There's just a lot of good things that happened those last two games, Florida and St. Louis. Yeah, you know, and I, I guess one of my questions when I watch this team, and, and you know, and Barry Trotz has said it a lot this year, that, that last year they were a very good five-on-five team which they were, and and they certainly were fortunate as well. You look at the numbers, um, they shot really well. They obviously got in- incredible goaltending, especially five-on-five. Five. So there were a lot of things that were in their favor at even strength last year, and I think this year, um, you know, a, a big factor to me, they played six games. They've scored three first-period goals. They haven't had a lead at the end of the first period. And and the one concerning thing that stands out to me that you – you don't want to project out too much, you know, or have it go on for too much longer. Is this is not a team that plays well from behind? They're they're they've got some skill. I mean, I think the way that they played that third period, even down one nothing and then two nothing to St. Louis, they dominated that third period against a very good team. So they have the extra gear. And when you've got, like you said, we'll talk about them a little bit more. But you've got a kid like Wallstrom, who's got that kind of skill and that ridiculous shot that he seems to be able to get off in very Ooh. tight spaces, and Love he's playing it. physical. I think that 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 jazzes everybody up. Everybody gets a little gets a little lift from it when they see a kid like that who's coming up and showing no fear and doesn't need to be you know kicked in the pants and said, "Hey, you know, you're in the NHL now." He looked ready for it, um, <laughs> which is exactly what you're looking for from yeah. a young guy like that. And and when I say what you're looking for is as a teammate, not so much the they knew his talent, they knew his skill, they knew he, he had a shot, they knew what he can do offensively with the puck in camp. But it's a whole different story when you come out during the regular season and play that way. And when a young guy comes out and plays like that, uh, you can't, you know, overstate how much that just that's a just a needle of adrenaline right into the team. I mean, that's just it gets everybody going. All of a sudden, everybody realizes, holy cow, do we have a new weapon? And Coach Trotz gets to play with this. This is going to be fun. It, it's it's really just filters right through that dressing room. Yeah, and I think you know you mentioned that. With the tail end, it was it was Lee and Barzal and, and Wallstrom, and that really, you know, when Everly gets hurt on Saturday, you know, Wallstrom is the guy that gets the call. You're thinking, well, maybe he'll start with that, and it's, you know, I think they wanted to ease into it a little bit and not not put that much pressure on Wallstrom. But once once Barry saw that he could handle himself playing second line, third line, wherever, you know, I think, and especially trailing, uh, you know, I think he had to like what he saw, and and I and I think. When we talk about the skill part, you know, obviously Jordan Everly is a very skilled guy and, and everybody knows what he can do. But Matthew Barzal, 
is a young guy. He's got a head full of steam a lot of times. I think when we saw him, he, he was laying on his belly because he was trying to go 15 different directions at once against Carolina about three or four times, and he ended up looking like it was like a cartoon character. Like I thought his body parts were all going to fall in 15 <laughs> different directions because he could could see his brain was spinning faster than he could spin his feet. But I think he gets energized too when he when he gets a kid like Wallstrom, and that to me is Barzell's the the guy that makes the offense go. And it's been a frustrating first few games for him. He's had a ton of chances. He's had a lot. He's taken a lot more shots than he's taken before, and nothing was really going in. And he had a, he had a chance in that St. Louis game where Anders Lee sent him a pass right across the crease through the defenseman's legs doorstep. He could have just smacked it home in the second period to tie the game, and it went right through his legs, and you could see his face. And you know, and and you don't, you can't have Matthew Barzal on tilt out there because then, then you got nothing going. So I think Wallstrom playing with those guys, not only playing with them but succeeding, they get the six on five goal, and then Barzal sets up the winner in overtime. You know, I don't know how long Everly's going to be out, but but to me, it, it seems like that's that's a line you want to either start the next game with or or go to it quickly because you got two guys that are that have a head you know a head full of steam and and some excitement going. Yeah, and and not to take anything away from obviously Eberly and, and Barzell's uh, cohesiveness and the way that they play together, but the way Wallstrom stuck played with he and Lee, uh, it, it almost it almost simplified things for Barzell. He where he could it, it's more up and down. Wallstrom is yeah. much more like Lee than he is Eberly, so it was more predictable. So Barzell could just kind of move straight forward as opposed to sometimes when you whether you start off slow or you're just going through a slump. Uh, like you said with Eberly, well, Barzell's doing that same thing where he's just thinking so much and he's got so many things going on. He's trying to, trying to, you know, try and make this perfect, cute, perfect pass, perfect play, everything, and to where all of a sudden he realizes, all right, I got Lee and Wallstrom. Both these guys are going north-south. They're going to get me the puck. Let's keep this simple. Get the puck in the corner. They're going to get it down, get it back to me, and let's make a play towards the net and make more of a quick play as opposed to, playing more of a power play five on five, if that makes any sense, I guess, where the kind of more of a, more of a perimeter style where it was more of a quick attack and like, Hey, if there's something open, let's take it. And that's kind of what I saw, what I like again, nothing to take away from Barzell and Everly, but it just seemed to simplify Barzell to where he took over. And man, it was nice to see him get that, you know, obviously the, Hey, tying goal was a bounce. Who cares? (laughs) <laughs> Who cares? I'll take 30 of them every year for crying out loud. You get it to the net, good things. Pucks and bodies to the net, good things happen. And then you can see his confidence just took off in overtime. And he could just, once he got that puck, you, almost, you knew the game was over. As soon as he got around behind that net and Taze is sitting there waiting, you're like, well, that's gotten on the tape. All Taze has got to do is hit the net. And it's game over. And that just to see, you can see the enthusiasm on Barzell's face, even in between uh, the third period in overtime, the the enthusiasm, the, how excited he was just to get that monkey off your back. And the first one is always the hardest one every year. Now that they got, now he's going, now that they got a couple wins going, now we're getting to see the Islanders. Now we get to see where they're going. Yeah. Um, what I mean, we talked a little bit about it, but when you see a kid like Wallstrom come in and, and you know, he was kind of joking about it to me in the locker room, uh, you know, Sunday night, he's... Uh, they, they took the bus back from Charlotte. They played Friday and Saturday night in Charlotte. Uh, I think the last thing that he had on the ice uh, in the AHL was he was wa- skating off after a fight um, <laughs> on Saturday night. And uh, and then he gets the call. You know, they get it. The bus pulls into Bridgeport around 7 a.m. on Sunday, and he gets the call. And here he is in the lineup. And it's, you know, with him, it seems like 
a year ago, he was just getting his college career started. It, it's, you know, you played in college. It is not, it, it can be a one and done type of situation for hockey players, but you have to have a great year. You have to have a lights out kind of year. I mean, you, I think you yeah. can look in some guys, you know, hockey DB pages and see, you know, there's guys with, with 25 goal college season. Anders Lee scored 25 in college. He didn't leave early. Brock Nelson scored, you know, Brock Nelson was a two-year guy at North Dakota, but he, he was a big scorer there. It's never, let's have a mediocre season and say, for, you know, like a, like a, like a basketball guy. Well, you know yeah. what? I, I'm not, this, this, this just isn't working for me. I, I'm going to take my skills somewhere else. And, you know, especially Lou Lamarillo was not thinking, you know, we're not just going to plug you right in, kid. Like you didn't even well, succeed. Lou was in- a college guy, though. <laughs> I mean, you get a little bit there, but I hear you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's interesting to me to see where he was a year ago and to hear people talking about him as someone who suddenly the the timeline was looking longer and longer for his development rather than a prototypical number eleven pick where you thought he was going to dominate the college level and then may you know have a real decision to make at the, when at season's end. This time, the decision was. Most likely, Lou Lamarillo saying, "We might not want you here, but I." But Lou is, you know, people call Lou an old school guy. This was not an old school move to have him turn <laughs> pro at the end of last season, and then, you know, it seems like every level he's been at, and it's it's small, small sample size. It was about ten games in Bridgeport at the end of last season, uh, regular season and playoffs. It was training camp this year. It was four games in Bridgeport. We're not ready to anoint this kid. You know, he's not going to be up there with Jack Hughes and Kako in the Rookie of the Year race, but. <laughs> But it's got to be encouraging to see. Absolutely. You know, and and, uh, you're right. It doesn't seem like it happens very often where where players don't have lights out here and then the the, the NHL team signs them. But it has happened. It's it's, in the the one other circumstance that usually is the reason it happens is because of development, is whether the player is stuck, whether it just seems stagnant. Uh, whether and and I'm not saying this is the case. Whether it's the the coaching, you know, if the organization doesn't feel the coaching is strong enough. So there's been plenty of circumstances, you know, over the years that where have players have come out where you'd be surprised just looking at their stats, and that's because the professional team, say the Islanders in this case, want to get them under their coaching, want to get them under their player player development, want to help guiding them, teaching them, seeing if they can be a professional now as opposed to maybe sitting for another year in a difficult situation. I'm not saying that's what how, what happened, but that could be what Lou decided and one of the many reasons, one of the reasons that they do pull kids out of college early. And that being said, which makes just what he's done this year, and, and, and I'm in a way, his call-up worked out perfect to where he plays back-to-back games on a bus until whenever, gets up the next morning, and all of a sudden he's got to play, he gets the call. So he's, he's probably got to practice on Sunday and then it's right away in the afternoon. So he really doesn't have time to even process that he's playing his first NHL game and he is going right from game mode into game mode as opposed to sitting there and practicing for a few days, then getting the call up and having nothing but practice for a few days and then boom, here's an afternoon game. And it just and that's kind of what it looked like. It looked like he was already in game mode and he just kind of kept that momentum going. Yeah, you know, I, funny when you're talking about um, college players in one year, I, I think I, it certainly brought me back to Kyle Pozo. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably you too, since that was... That's, uh, that's exactly who I was thinking about. Um, you know, that was a pretty famous <laughs> instance of, of Garth Snow as the GM 
call up, you know, publicly calling out a pretty legendary Minnesota program and saying, we don't think this is the right thing for Kyle. And it certainly turned yep. out to be the right move. You know, Kyle was, was within short order ready for the NHL and, and a big contributor for the Islanders to kind of get back to respectability for the years that he was here. Um, so yeah, it's, I, you know, it, it is interesting. And I, I just sort of, you know, I think you even see guys, guys who were dominating last year in the hockey East and, in, in you know, in Wallstrom's league, guy like Joel Farabee in uh, in Philly, not even in the NHL right now, and he he was like you know he was the best player at Boston University last year, and it seemed like a no brainer that he was going to be in the Flyers lineup this year. But you know, development is a tricky thing, and and I'm sure if Lou had his way right now, Wallstrom would be still in Bridgeport, and I'm sure he'll end up going back at some point when whenever he's healthy. But maybe not. Maybe he's here to stay because uh, you know he played well enough to to put some points on the board the other night, and he really. You know, through two and a half periods, uh, there weren't too many guys that were standing out more than him on the Islanders in that game against St. Louis. No, even and and it wasn't only just his play with the puck, but just uh, his anticipation. His his he was creating turnovers. His his positional play away from the puck. Uh, you could just see his confidence growing as that game went on. And obviously, uh, Coach Trotz uh, believed in him and, and recognized it because he got moved up with Barzell and Lee uh, as the game went on. And it, you never know which way it's going to go. Uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm excited to watch too. Is is this going to be the, the little confidence bo- uh, boost that he needs to all of a sudden, hey, he doesn't lose his spot because, hey, that's exactly how it happens in the NHL. It's yeah. tried, you know, it's happened to me. It's happened to everybody where somebody gets injured and it's a job opening. There's your interview right there. Now, how where is he going to go? That's the thing about being a professional is it is it consistency. It's being at night in and night out. Can you bring that game? Will he kind of become consistent? Will he boost with his? Or will he will he get that boost from his confidence? Or will it kind of intimidate him? And will he take a step back? And and which is not bad. You're going to make mistakes. And then then again, after you take a step back, you almost, you don't want to see it right away. But at, at some point when you when you see a mistake with a young guy, again, how does he respond? That, there's a professional. You're going to make a mistake. Are you going to make it again? Is it going to ruin your game? Is, do we need to send you down to build your confidence back up? You know, it's all the fun things. And it's one of the things I, I enjoy watching more than anything in the game is just watching all these young kids develop and see what kind of professional they're going to become or if they will become one. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, between him and, and Noah Dobson, it's uh, it's turned into an interesting uh, an interesting season. And we'll talk a little bit more about Dobson and his role on the defense uh, in a few minutes. But I kind of wanted to go into, and this is, you know, we don't know what the timelines are for, for Casey Sezekis and Jordan Eberle. You know, we don't even know what the injuries are. They're both lower body. Uh, Casey's certainly looked like an ankle sprain. He's been walking around with a walking boot and uh, tried to play through it. And I, I don't know if it's a it's a more severe high ankle sprain, but he was certainly not. You know, he was compromised the, the three games that he played, and it was pretty clear to everybody. So they, he was yeah. basically shut down uh, for the time. Yeah, my being X factor pick IR. was uh, in trouble right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he he kind of got rolled up on in the in the last preseason game in Bridgeport, yep. and and uh, you know, and and him being out, you know, Everly being out, and if you can put in a guy like Wallstrom, and we certainly talked a lot about Josh Hosang last week, and I and I tweeted this out, and certainly got some notices about it. But you think if if Josh hadn't asked for the trade, and if Lou hadn't said stay home, um, and he went to Bridgeport and played these four games and did what he needed to do, 
I certainly have to feel he would be the one that would be back up here now because he was here last year. Barry knows what he gets with, you know, starting to know what he gets with him. Um, but that's, we're not going to, we're going to save that for another yeah, time. Really. There's some more resolution <laughs> on, on Josh's situation, but he's still, he's still sitting out in purgatory. Lou hasn't traded him. And, and it's a crazy Lou's situation. Lou's never going to feel pressure to do so. I, it just no. to me is uh, why Josh is doing this. Why you're why why you're getting into a staring contest with Lou Lamarillo is beyond me, yeah. uh, especially when you could be playing and stating your case for whoever else could be watching. Yeah, well, that's that's I think. But the again, less said, the less said about that for now, the better. Um, there we go. So now Everly's out with, uh, you know, he kind of got his leg caught underneath him on a big hit on Saturday. Could be a knee. You know, they haven't put him on IR yet to to make room for another another roster addition, whether they want to or not. Um, so he's still technically day to day, but it seems like, you know, it could be a little bit, uh, a little bit of time for him. So do you think this, this kind of patchwork lineup is a little bit strong, but when you've got, you had one of the best fourth lines in the league that you were matching up against the other teams, top lines all season long last season to great effect. And now the, the trickle down effect, you've got Komarov off the wing and, and playing in the middle, which is not his natural position. And I'm just looking at the numbers four and 22 on faceoffs for Leo this season. Oof. Yeah. That's that's like my numbers. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you'd come in when somebody else got thrown out most of the time. I, I don't think. I, you, quick story. Laviolette put Hammerlick in on a four and four <laughs> faceoff when Pekka got kicked out instead of me once. Hammerlick. Did most you say anything I've to ever him? been on the ice. I didn't Did even you? know what to say. <laughs> I think that said it all, to be perfectly honest. But and knowing and knowing Peter, I imagine he would have had some sarcastic remark ready to go oh, for you if you if you questioned him. One hundred percent. But that's that's a Thursday story. <laughs> um, so you've got Leo, who had been very effective on that third line wing with Broussard and Bovillier the first couple of games. Now he's slotted down to the middle. You've got Clutterbuck, who's played up the first night um, on Saturday on the second line and then kind of bounced around once Eberly went out. He was on that fourth line, kind of the only familiar face. And you've got Matt Martin sitting out two games for Ross Johnson, similar type players. Um, but it really feels like with Casey out, uh, that fourth line, just the, the, the parts do not add up to much with, with him out. He's kind of the, the engine that makes it go. And, and with Martin sitting out, um, you know, he's one of the most popular guys in that room. He's he's the mayor of Long Island. He's marrying. He just married Sydney Sydney Assize and Boomer Assize's daughter over the summer. He's ah. his return to Long Island was almost as triumphant as anything else that has happened uh, since the Islanders, since the new regime took over. Um, when he's sitting out, and you know, and I think not to digress too much, but Barry Trotz was talking about Johnny Boychuk, who played had a you know had a struggle against St. Louis, but made that big play to keep the puck in and set in motion Barzal's tying goal. Um, you know, Boychuk's 36 now. He's, 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 uh, you know, he's, he's getting old. Part <laughs> of the old it. guard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, you know, it's a, it's a fast game and you've got a 19 year old waiting in the wings and Dobson. Um, but Barry talked about the intangibles and, and how difficult a decision it is when you, when you have to sit Boychuk, which he did for a game or you have to sit a Matt Martin. What's the vibe like in the room when, when one of those guys, whether it's a guy who's who's got a quick wit, who can crack a joke and, and ease the tension between periods or before a game, when, when those guys are sitting out, can do you feel like you're a part of the game? Do you feel like you can be in the room and, and say what you would normally say? You know, that's 
there's a, there's a lot of cliches thrown around, especially in well all pro sports, but especially in pro hockey. And and that is truly when the, when when the coaches describe that situation, it is easily one of the hardest decisions they have to make from on a day to day basis on who's going to be in the roster because you lose that. You know what Matt Martin brings before the game in between periods because well he's in the press box, he can't be there, and not like the, the hard part too is. When you are Matt Martin, you, you don't feel like you're part of the team. You miss the inside jokes. You miss what's said before the game, in between periods, after the game. You miss all that. And then the next time in practice, everybody's kind of talking about it, and you feel left out. It's really hard. It's one of the hardest things being, especially an older guy, a leader, a professional, because you want to be there for all that. That being said, there are ways you can be there. And I'm sure Matt Martin is doing them because of what his character is, what kind of player he is, what kind of person he is. You can still help guide the young guys. You can still talk to him. You can still be fun loving during practice and, you know, in the locker room here and there. Yeah, you might, some minor details, you might have to uh, ask a teammate for uh, <laughs> here and there. And it's a little frustrating. It's a shot at the pride, but you know what? You got to do that thing. That's part of being professional. That's part of being an older guy. That's one of the reasons that uh, Lou and Barry like having Boychuk and Martin around because, yes, it's hard to accept when you're kind of at the uh, tail end uh, of your career. But at the same time, you get to be a mentor for all these young guys or the young guys the Islanders have in this this uh, particular case. So, yes, it's hard. But the good thing is, is they have the character. Maddie's got a character. Johnny's got the character to do what they can on and off the ice and still mentor and show what it takes to to be a day-to-day professional in the NHL. And really what I learned over my career is there's two things you could control, attitude and effort. You can't control whether you're in the press box. You can't control whether you're on the power play. You can't control whether you're in the lineup. All you got is your attitude and effort. And those guys are going to get up every morning and show the exact same thing, whether on the fourth line, top six, or in the press box makes sense now from an from a the way the Islanders play standpoint can they can they succeed without the fourth line not just being what it was last year but but not even existing I mean you know when Casey comes back I'm sure Barry will go right back to putting them together and and hopefully for his sake Casey's more you know healthier or closer to 100% healthy as you can get uh, as an NHL player and that line can do what he wanted it to do but he's whether it was he knew how injured Casey was and Casey was trying to give it a go, like his matchup line right now is is Brock Nelson as the center and whether it's Bailey on one side and Bovillia on the other or Del Call or whoever, he's not putting that Sezikis line or he wasn't putting that Sezikis line out to play the heavy minutes um, and really put them in that position to do what they did last year, which was not only defend well, but, but you know turn the tables on a lot of these skilled forward lines. That's how Sezikis ended up with 20 goals. So can they, the way the Islanders are built, can they succeed without the fourth line being the fourth line? Yeah, that's, this is exactly why I picked Casey as my <laughs> X factor early on because of that depth, because that line, the pressure that they took off as a fourth line, what they took off the Barzells, the Eberleys, the Scorers, Lees, all these guys were they didn't have to be the scorers every night. They didn't have to be the heroes every night. And that's what you need in that depth. That's where you see the, that's the difference between a playoff contender and a Stanley Cup contender is that depth and who's going to be the heroes tonight. 
Can the Islanders succeed? Absolutely. But it just puts that much more pressure on their top six lines and guys to step up every night without that depth. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and I, I just looking at some of the, the, you know, not even metrics, but like Cal Clutterbuck is averaging 12 and a half, 1233, I think, a game so far. He was he was almost around 14 minutes a game last year. You know, that's that's a guy who is at his most effective, which is not necessarily he's not 20 goal scorer effective, but he is at his most effective when he's rolling out there, you know, it's, I, it's every player. You, you got you a regular, you get a regular turn. You're yep. going to be better. Exactly. In, in, in game. You stop thinking and play. Yeah. And, uh, and not having that, I think um, is tough. And I think, you know, sitting Martin, you know, Ross Johnson, Ross Johnson can play, you know, he, for a guy who uh, was really only known as just a brawler when he first came into the organization. <laughs> just like play. me, right? Exactly. Exactly. You should. You should. You and Ross should feel very simpatico because he's got the same career arc as you. Um, you know, he's made himself into a, a serviceable thirteenth, fourteenth forward, a guy who plays every so often, who doesn't need to go down to sharpen his skills. He can, you know, he can be around and be a part of the team, and and you know, I'm sure he'll go back to the bench at some point. But uh, but also, he's a guy who plays seven or eight minutes. It's not the same thing. And, uh, yep. you know, that, that to me also, like you said, you're, you're taxing your, your other guys when you have him in the lineup, unless you trust him to play more. Um, because Matt Martin is not a six or seven minute a night guy, even though that's, you know, by, that's how Mike Babcock used him. And he was frustrated his last year in Toronto. And I think last year Matt told me and, and was, you know, he showed it, he showed that he's still an NHL player and can not just a guy who goes around hitting people, but someone who can be effective in a certain role. And, and it's, um, you know, I, I wonder this early in the year, um, sitting him twice and maybe more to come, although I have to imagine he's going to get back in here soon, whether you lose him a little bit mentally as a coach. It, with, with You know, like I said, they were at their most effective last year playing all three of them together. And if Barry can get away with saying, well, the three of you separately with Casey out just don't work as well, so we're going to let, you know, let Casey get well. Matt maybe gets a little bit of a blow. And then everybody comes back strong. Does, you know, do you feel like that that can work? That that sort of uh, you know coaching maneuver, I guess. Uh, yes, I, I I've seen it work. I've seen where uh, you know I, I, where different, and, and I know uh, Martin and Johnson are are, are very fairly similar uh, players. Uh, but I've been there. I've, I've been that twelfth or thirteenth guy, depending on what team you're playing uh, in Dallas. I've been there in Minnesota. I've been there and it's like, Hey, sorry, we're playing a little bit tougher team. We need to put uh, Derek Bugard in there and we need to put Landon Wilson in there and Hey, we're playing a skilled team. Congratulations. You get to play. <laughs> and, and as long as it's communicated as a player, that's part of being professional. Uh, and the one thing that I like about it, and I didn't like it going through it, of course, but inner squad, inner team rivalries, can be good, or excuse me, I shouldn't say robbers. Inner inner team competition can can be a positive thing. It's gonna it pushes each other. So you know what, Matt Martin's kind of sitting out watching a couple of games. If he comes back and he's better than we saw even last year, if he's ready to go and he's at his tip top, well, that's good for the team. And then when Ross gets a chance to get back in there and he's pushing again, they keep pushing each other. That works out well for the Islanders and everyone involved. Yeah, and, and I guess the only other factor to me is so far, you know, Bavillier's 
been really good and kind of bounced around a little bit. You know, Brock Nelson is, um, you know, the the Brocktober hashtag is a real thing. <laughs> this guy, this guy just produces the first month of the year. I don't know what it is. I love it's amazing. It. You never um, know. And you, people ask me that all the time. Why is some people finish strong and start? You just don't know. It just <laughs> seems to be there. That's just your mo. It's what you become as a player. Right. You just go with it. Um, the one concern, other concern for me is Broussard so far. And I, and I figured a guy like him would have a little bit of trouble adjusting, not just to playing a Barry Trotz style, which is not, you know, he's more of an offensive style guy, but he starts the year with Bovillier, which is good. And with Komarov, which is a challenge because Leo is, is a very, you know, he's a bull in a China shop and, uh, he's not going to give you a whole lot of, you know, razzle dazzle. Um, so Broussard's offensive chances, every, you know, his five on five shifts are going to be limited. Um, took a really bad penalty on Monday that cost them a, a two nothing game, you know, turned a one nothing game where they were, they came out strong in that third period and it became a two nothing game on Tarasenko's mm-hmm. goal while he was in the box. Um, yep. he got, he got back out there. Earth. Yeah. He got back out there, you know, a pretty regular shift, but, but, uh, you know, six games, one point, um, I think again we talk about the you know one these roster decisions it's all it's all a puzzle and everything is it affects something else when you have a Sezikis out and you got to put Leo in there as the fourth line center where you know he's not going to win many faceoffs and you have to have that third you know that number three hole guy has to be as dependable as as can be and I don't know that Broussard is there yet and you know. We'll see with, with whether Casey can get back, and that probably improves things for Broussard because it takes it takes the, you know, he's not going to the one to be out there to take the D zone draws and yeah. do all these things that maybe he's not used to doing. But um, but it is it is definitely to me something to watch where he's he's he seems to have one of you know he's the only new guy up front really, and uh, he's having a little trouble adjusting. And that and tragically we we just don't know. Uh, how long that adjustment period is going to take. It, it just does. Uh, I've bounced around way more than uh, Derek has. Uh, of course, to, uh, hopefully he's got a long... He's bounced, around, he's, he's bounced around a lot. But but he's got a lot more years. Or I had a <laughs> lot more years ahead of him. Or yeah. So either way, like, we'll see where that ends. But no, with each time, you never know how, how long the adjustment period is going to take. And, uh, you know, you can, you know, the good thing I like about it is that he's, you know, Barry's sticking with him. Uh, he's, he's get out there and play, get out there and do it, go out there and do it. I obviously I don't know what's going on behind the scenes of their discussions, but you just got to let them play and keep pushing and keep pushing. Now, of course there does become a breaking point in that. And you hope that when Casey does come back, it does relieve, take a little bit of pressure off him and relax or, you know, maybe just like, couple goals a couple empty net goals one big you know two point night whatever it is and all of a sudden everything just kind of snaps together you finally feel comfortable in the room you feel comfortable uh, being more of a leader in the in the locker room and talking to the guys or whatever it may be it just takes time and the hardest part is we just don't know how long but we know we can't wait forever yeah yeah it's uh it's going to be interesting you know i think when when Sezikis is back and when they're at their kind of their full complement i i you know, there's there's going to be a role for him for sure. And and the funny thing mm-hmm. is to me, he's, you know, the, the power play's actually been pretty effective. They haven't had a lot of chances, but 11 power plays in six games, yep. which is a number you got to increase even if you don't you score a ton. That's, you to, that's you offensive zone. You got to get your feet moving. You got to get in behind the right. D. You got to get them twisted and turn. You got to force the teams to yeah. take I, the yeah, power that, and that And that, you know, there's a little bit of a who you're playing factor 
Edmonton game, the Carolina game, they were playing two teams that were, you know, operating at the top of their their abilities right this time of year. Red hot. Washington is always tough to play down low. St. Louis, there's just no room at all. So, you know, you, you accept that there are some tough teams to play against. But you take that five minutes of St. Louis, sick <laughs> boys. We play like that. We're going to be on the power play all night. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that they're, they're three-on-three play below the hash marks. They've worked on it a lot in practice uh, in, in their, their few practice days since the season started. It's clearly a point of emphasis that that when they get into the zone and they set up, there's a lot of, you know, they – Somebody takes it to the wall. They curl, low to high, get a shot, try to get traffic. They're not necessarily um, fighting for space as well as they should be. And I think when we're talking about Wallstrom, he had a play in that St. Louis game where he he got the puck off the wall, and the St. Louis defenseman was closing on him pretty quick, and he just snapped it, and it missed the net by a couple feet, but it hit the glass and it made a sound that there was 10,500 people in there making a lot of noise and the sound that that thing made it sounded like an empty building where someone dropped a you know a you know 500 dinner plates or something it was it was a heavy heavy sound and that's maybe that's the kind of guy go back to what we were talking about earlier that's the kind of guy that can loosen some things up when you're when you're when they're digging for stuff below the hash marks because it it looks like a lot of effort and I and my favorite Barry Trotzism, which he says a lot, is don't mistake activity for achievement. And the Islanders have had a lot of activity. They've had the puck a lot uh, in some yep. of these games, and they just haven't generated enough chances. And it's it makes does make you wonder, can this team be that effective? And again, we go back to when you're behind too, and a team you know a team like a St. Louis or a team like Carolina, just with their with the way that their D play so strong in their own end below the below the hash marks. And they're just locking you out there. You're not even getting any space, and their forwards are in the good shoot and shooting lane. So the, the low to high play to the point doesn't really work very well. Do they have enough creativity and skill, one to twelve in this lineup, to to break through and win the games when they're behind? They've done it. They've done it twice this year, so it's not impossible. But um, but I think as they go along, it's something to watch. I agree, but there's no doubt in my mind that they have it. They showed it last year. Their top twelve. You get Sizikas back. You get Everly back. You get everybody healthy. You bring in that inner squad uh, uh, rivalry. I guess I like to say no rivalry. Uh, that competition that's good for a game. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that they can. And and the one thing, yes, uh, activity. You know, don't mistake it for achievement. But activity is also part of the process. Is once once the negativity, once once the confidence, I should say, is gone. Well, then it's just chasing. That, then it's just chasing. There is no activity once the confidence is gone. So it may not be achievement, and I agree with Coach Strauss on that, but it's also part of the process, and it's tending towards achievement, which is what you want this time of year. You don't want to peak right now. Yeah, no, that's I, I totally agree. Um, and since we still have a few minutes, we haven't really talked too much about the goaltending. Did mention about Varlamov having a really good game against Florida, kind of the uh, – Hugely important, like you said, you don't want to yes. peak, but but Oof. as a goalie, you got to throw a good one up there. And <laughs> yes. he had not, you know, he was he was he okay struggled. against yeah, he was okay against Washington. He was pulled against Edmonton. He was not good. Nope. Um, so he needed that one, and I think uh, I think they were happy to have it. He was happy to have it, uh, and to follow it up by putting Grice in on Monday afternoon and not necessarily forcing it with with Varlamov to try to you know keep going to the well when he's starting to get hot. And, uh, and I think we need to 
need to give a shout out to Thomas Grice. This is a guy who yep. I, everybody, everybody, literally, you know, he, he made 39 starts last, 37 starts last year. It's not like Robin Leonard made 60 and this guy was just on mop-up detail. He was a big part of that Jennings trophy. and Completely you know, underappreciated his, his, yeah, outside his, of the hockey world. Everybody else, we know that, but it just didn't, like you said, nobody, just seems like it didn't get out there because of the Robin Leonard and what he got and that, sorry, proceed. Yeah. Yeah, just looking, you know, this is his fifth season now with the Islanders. And amazingly enough, his next win is going to tie him with Yara Halak, I think, for fifth all time oh. goalie wins, I believe. With uh, He's got 87 right now and 154 starts. So he's small sample size. He's got a 925 save percentage right now. So his first year with the Islanders was 15 16, 925. Last year, 927. Wow. I mean, he had, a, he had a horrific 17 18, but. Lots of people had horrific 1718s, especially the guys that were charged with keeping the puck out of the net. But, but this is a guy who has been as consistent as any goalie the Islanders have had in the last 20 plus years. And he's, he doesn't say a whole lot. He's, I'm always impressed that as a guy whose English is not his first language, that he has his cliches down so well in post game scrubs. <laughs> That we all just, you know, he he, play, he played a fantastic game against St. Louis. He kept them, kept it close. Maybe the Tarasenko goal wasn't a great one, but but he was really yeah. good in that game when they needed him to be. Yeah. And then after the game, he was walking out of the room and he kind of, you know, pointed. He's like, "Do you need me?" And we're like, "No, you're good," because he just he just he's as you know, dull as dirt. <laughs> uh, Which, but, and he and he does it perfectly. Yeah, yeah, and he's you know he's he's a guy who. You know, when, when Garth signed him to that extension uh, in sixteen seventeen, you know, three years, it, it ends at the end of this season, $10 million. It's a reasonable contract for a guy who you think is going to make a lot more starts than not. He only made 25 starts in seventeen eighteen because he wasn't very good. It wasn't well, like he was hurt. Last year, I was staying corrected, he had 39 starts. So it was almost an even split with Leonard. Uh, like I said, 927 save percentage. Uh, and this year... Um, you know, he, he's clearly embraced what Mitch Korn and Piero Greco are, are putting out there. Varlamov is the one that's got to get used to it. And you hope, like Leonard, he, he figures it out. But but when you have this other guy here who's a veteran and has, uh, has you know, put up some really good numbers uh, more often than not, it, it's, uh, it's, it's worth mentioning and it's worth it's – worth, uh, Noting that and and wondering whether if Arlamov doesn't isn't able to put it together completely, whether this is the guy who's going to get the bulk of the starts. It's if you look at those numbers from last year, and obviously Robin got a, a lot of the credit. Uh, but what other backup in the NHL can touch Grice's numbers last year? If there isn't a backup, that's deserved a chance at being a there isn't another backup that has deserved a chance has earned a chance to be the starter more than thomas grice yeah and i'm sure that's the way he's looking at it now knowing he's also understands you know varlamov would brought in here this is how it's going to go obviously he has been able to accept that because of last year coach trotz has a boatload of confidence in him because in coach trotz's mind again to go back to the first power play second power play Coach Stratz is just saying, all right, which goalie? Do I have a number one, do I have a number two? He doesn't care. It's which goalie is going to be his. Who's Which one's going to step up and be his number one goaltender? It's not if he has one or not, just like the power play. And to have Thomas Grice backing up Varlamov to, again, 
let Varlamov, the adjustment period, let him get acclimated. I know it's it's harder for goalies. It's tougher for goalies because it's they're just under more of a microscope. But that at the same time, they've got, in my mind, the best backup in the NHL ready to just kind of let them take a couple days, let them take a couple weeks, or you know what? Inner squad competition. Maybe he'll <laughs> just become the number one. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. And it's it's interesting contract year for him. So obviously he wants to continue his career. And Varlamo's got three more years after this. So um, I'm curious to see where it goes because the Islanders do have Ilya Sorokin over in the KHL. His contract is up at the end of this year. If part of the goal of signing Varlamov was to get Sorokin over here and make them the tandem, but Thomas Grice is the guy who's carrying you to the playoffs, it's going to be an right? interesting convers- a few conversations to have at the end of this season, I would think. Can't wait to see what happens. <laughs> well, can't wait to see what happens the rest of this week. The Islanders are in Winnipeg uh, and Columbus, and then they got a few days off, so we'll have a couple more games to talk about when we reconvene next week. Mark, good stuff as always. This was great, and uh, thanks. And thanks to you all listening out there. This is No Sleep Till Belmont, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic. This is Arthur Staple. We'll catch you again next week. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.